0: Welcome back to the Trojan Talk Podcast. I'm Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com. We did not have a show last week due to the scheduling conflicts, but we sure as heck wanted to have one this week to dive head first into what, into what has been at the front, at the forefront of USC fans' minds all week. What to make of this defense? And Defensive Coordinator, Alex Grinch. I guess that's not the question fans are asking cuz most fans are have already answered that for themselves and have a pretty uh, entrenched opinion on what they think about the direction of the defense and USC's embattled defensive coordinator but if you've been on our Trojan talk board if you've been if, if you follow me on Twitter or probably I've said on this podcast numerous times I stayed neutral on Grinch I stayed neutral through last season just did not feel that they had the talent to be good under any circumstance defensively, uh, talent or depth. And they, for a good chunk of the season, were better than I expected with the aggressive takeaways and sacks and um, kind of making that their identity. Things, of course, went off the rails at the end, the Pac-12 championship game and the Cotton Bowl collapse, which kind of harkened back for fans this week in USC's 48-41 win At Colorado. So I had stayed neutral through last season, through the offseason. I really believed that there was a lot to be optimistic about with this defense, with the uh, significantly increased talents across the board, with the much, much boosted depth across the board, with the narratives that emerged in the spring and in the summer, that this defensive front was going to be so much better that a bulk of the defense was has now been here for a full year and was further advanced in the system, that there's going to be more competition across the board because of that aforementioned depth. There were a number of individuals who seemed primed for breakout seasons, much improved seasons. There was just a lot to like across the board about this defense, and Lincoln Riley has been so ardently confident that Alex Grinch is the right guy to right the ship that he had seen him do it at Oklahoma, that he sees more behind the scenes than, than fans or us media will see, and and he believed in where things were going, and so I just I gave the benefit of the doubt and I stayed neutral. Again, neutral is the key word here, and I I've used that word over and over again in the last year and a half. I haven't been trying to sell anybody that Alex Grinch is the answer. I also haven't been joining the the angry mob on on social media or or elsewhere saying that he couldn't do it. I needed to see more. Well, I've seen more. I've seen more, and I don't know that I'm neutral anymore. I think the last two weeks, coming out of a bye week, having shown some encouraging signs in the easier early part of the schedule, especially in that Stanford game, going into a bye week, I expected a lot more. Playing the Arizona State team that had been shut out the previous week by Fresno State and then giving up 28 points, that was one thing. It was on the road. You had to expect that they would make adjustments after that Fresno State uh, debacle. And they threw the kitchen sink at USC. You know, there's a lot of gadget plays and uh, surprises and everything else. So I, I still said, okay, not very encouraging, but... Let's see where they go from here. That was just kind of a wonky game, and they did still win by a couple touchdowns. So, is what it is. Then we get to last week in Boulder, Colorado. For all the buzz and hype uh, deserved that Deion Sanders' Colorado team has generated this year, the reality remained that they went to Oregon the previous week, two weekends ago, and lost 42-6 and managed 199 yards of offense and pretty much got dominated and shut down. The fact remains that that Buffalo's team does not have a good offensive line. Uh, it's going to take a couple of years for, for Deion Sanders and company to buff up the, the protection up front. They were the least productive rushing team in the FBS. 130-plus teams, they were dead last in rushing. And then USC comes in. And Colorado puts up, puts up 564 yards of offense, one shy of their season high. 193 rushing yards, which is 123 more than they had done against any other opponents. A lot of that was on the legs of quarterback Shador Sanders, but it wasn't all the QB. It was a dormant rushing attack being brought to life by USC. 27 second-half points. USC holds on for a 48-41 win. But, man, has the fan base been apoplectic this week about Grinch, about this defense. It's aggressive stalemate between the fans' perspective and the coaching staff's perspective. Obviously, Grinch has, still believes in what he's doing and, and the scheme, and you get the sense from talking to the coaches that it's, man, like if, if we just don't have breakdowns and, and guys are where they're supposed to be, then, then this is yeah. going to work. The problem is that they have breakdowns every week, and every week, several times a game, guys aren't where they're supposed to be, and it doesn't work. Uh, Lincoln Riley was asked after the game, point blank, if he still believed that Alex Grinch was the guy for the job. And he said simply, yes, I do. Three words, yes, I do. He then was asked, you know, for all the obvious talent upgrades and and the, the added depth, it still looks like the same issues on this defense from last year the missed tackles, the missed gap assignments that lead to big runs, the explosive plays downfield, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he said, no, I don't agree with that. And he basically said, it's not the same issues. It's not, not to a coach's eye, not to the trained eye. And so there's this chasm of perspective between the the fans on one side who are, I don't know what support remains for Alex Grinch in this defense. And then Lincoln Riley and the coaching staff on this side where I don't know if they've lost any confidence in what they're doing. And it's a really interesting situation. It obviously ultimately is what this USC football season hinges upon. It's what will decide how far this team can go. Because as we we saw last year, even with arguably the best offense in the country, there will be a week or two weeks or three weeks where that alone is not enough. And do the Trojans have the other the other side of the coin? For the first time, I'm dropping my neutrality, and I got to admit that I'm not overly optimistic that they do. Uh, I'm not at zero like a lot of people listen to this podcast. Uh, I'm not at ten like Lincoln Riley and uh, and the staff. I I would say I was at a six and a half before the last two weeks, and I'm at a four to 4.5 now, confidence level, 1 to 10 scale on this defense. What I would cling to to be the devil's advocate here is that there are a number of clearly talented players on that unit uh, and guys who probably haven't played to their full potential yet. And while it's unlikely that everyone is going to reach their peak and, and improve, if a few guys do, that can lift this a little bit. There's also the fact that this defense does do good things. It, it does at times. It, it, it's not like it's just uh, getting run over every single drive. Against Colorado. Let's break it down real fast against Colorado. A three and out punts. An interception. A three and out punts. Uh, a six play drive, ending in punts. A four play drive, ending in punts. A three and out punts. A six play drive, uh, ending on downs in the fourth quarter. Now between those were some really bad sessions uh, and all those touchdowns and second half points for the Buffaloes. My point being though, is that whatever they're trying to do does work at times. It's just that they can't sustain it because this is a bad tackling team. And this is a team that has breakdowns. This is a defensive scheme that demands that neither of those happen. We'll get into it more with Max Brown. Here's we bring him back on the show. But if you go back and watch the tape and just look at how often they're depending on the first tackle, tackler to get the job done. And there's no one else uh, nearby to, to save the day if that doesn't happen. Look at how often they're asking their secondary to be on an islands, And if they get beat, it's very possibly going all the way for a touchdown. And that's not unique in in football, I mean, that's, that's part of being a defensive back is that you have to work on an islands and win. But Alex Grinch and company are going to be aggressive. They're going to be aggressive in the pass rush. And that's going to put a strain on the rest of the defense. It's going to lead to some sacks, some, some nice uh, three and outs and, and, and plays behind the line of scrimmage and, and some really good looking defensive drives. And it's going to lead to the alternative as well where the vulnerabilities end up being explosive plays and long touchdowns and, and the ability for the opponent to come back in games and to make things more interesting than it should be. Anyway, I'd highly encourage everyone to read on our site, Taj Gwark on the Cars, first and 10 column he does every week with his 10 most significant takeaways from USC's performance. He goes really in-depth. He comes through the film and has a great football eye and really a great analytical take on things and he really broke down some of what I'm hinting at here with, with structure, the flaws in the scheme uh, w- why they get taken advantage of so highly recommend go to Trojansports.com read that column uh, but we're also going to bring on Max Brown, the former quarterback and our resident Trojansports.com analyst to uh, give his assessment and his take on it as well before we do I'm going to play you uh, two sound bites I'm going to play you Lincoln Riley's response when asked why the defense uh, is having the same issues as last year, which he disagreed with. I'm going to play you Bryson Shaw, the veteran safety, who has always been a strong, strong, outspoken supporter of Alex Grinch. He had committed to Grinch at Ohio State, uh, ended up going to Ohio State for a few years, and then transferred to uh, connect with Grinch here at USC. So certainly a guy who believes in, in Alex Grinch, and he gave an impassioned take after the game that this is not on the coaches, it's on the players, which... I'm sure to a large degree it is, but that's when you have to adjust as a coach and and realize the players aren't aren't able to execute what you're asking. Anyways, I I want you to hear those two sound bites because we're going to reference them later in the show. Then I'll bring on Max Brown, and we'll do what we do, and it's going to be a great show. Glad to have you back. Glad to be back. Glad to have Max Brown back on. Let's do it.
1: I mean, just everything, but you know, Chris, he's doing a great job. I mean, we're letting him down. That's that's point-blank period. We're letting him down. Like, I don't know what to tell y'all. We're, as players, we're letting him down. I mean, he's putting us in the right spot. We're not making plays. We're missing tackles. We're not doing our job. I'm not doing my job. We're letting him down. We're letting him down. Bryson, what do you guys did with Sanders? Yeah, I mean, he's a great player, great quarterback. You know, love playing against him. He made some plays with his legs. You know, got out of the pocket a few times, um, which, again, Coach Cringe, I mean, sit in the meeting room, he'll appreciate it the whole time, you know. Can't let the quarterback out of the pocket. Can't let the quarterback out of the pocket. What do we do? We let him out the pocket. We don't match on the back end. I uh, don't match on the back end. They throw the cross in the back there. They score, and that's how it goes. You know, he sets us up, puts us in the right spots, and we, we need to get it done. So, Bryson, Coach, Riley Coach was out here, and he said, these aren't the same issues you guys have had from last year. They're different this year. But I kind of hear you describing the same issues from last year. Oh. What, what do you think is carrying that over? Where the coach is putting him in the right position, but yeah. and I appreciate the accountability. Right. But it's not happening. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's not happening. And, and, and again, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Then we just got to fix it. You know, I, I have full faith in this defense. I know every every player on this team has full faith in this defense. We love Coach Grinch. Grinch. Coach Grinch puts us in the right spots. He's a great coordinator. No, I mean, there's no other coach we'd rather have. We love him, and I mean, he's doing his job. We're not doing ours as players. It's, that's all there is to it.
2: It's not really the same issues, so. though. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't agree with it. I, I feel like even right now, um, when, when something doesn't go our way, we're five games in. We're taking that that litmus test right now. When something doesn't go our way, it doesn't look like last year. Not to the train die. Not to a coach. Now, um, yeah, not to we still got plenty to correct. And again, the number there's two things today that absolutely, when we weren't good, killed us. And that was we didn't do a good job of keeping the quarterback in the pocket. Because really. We were suffocating them. I mean, that gave him life. Um, that, that drive right before half, that gave him life. We were we were doing everything really, really well. Um, but he gets outside the pocket, makes a few plays, and then, listen, the, the, to give a quarterback confidence, there's nothing like being able to throw, you know, a seven-yard hitch route up there. And there was a couple of those that went, you know, 30, 40-plus. Uh, the one went longer than that. And so uh, you, you got to own those things. We have to be better at them. Those are plays that we didn't make. Um, but... but no, it, it doesn't look like last year. There's a lot that's improved, and we gotta, we've also gotta we also got to put
0: it all together. All right, let's do it. Back on the show, Max Brown, our resident Trojansports.com analyst, the former USC quarterback. Been a couple of weeks. Max, great to have you back on. How are you doing? Good to be back. Fun, uh, fun having a team
3: 5-0. and I know we're going to get into a lot of the concerns that I'm sure some of the listeners have, but at the end of the day, going to be
0: 5-0, top 10 team with uh, everything to play for ahead. While you hit the nail on the head. We are going to get into some concerns, and it's going to be a, a more defensive oriented conversation than we normally have. We're normally talking about right in my alley,
1: Ryan, defensive guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have you on. We're normally uh, talking about the exploits of USC's offense, and we will get into some of that too. I do want to touch on Brendan Rice's emergence as what looks to be USC's number one receiver this year uh, at this point. And uh, we'll we'll cover the highlights, but it's it's time for a real conversation about Alex Grinch and this defense. And it's been happening pretty much since the end of the game last week. It happened in the post game press conference with some interesting comments from Lincoln Riley and from players. It happened after practice Tuesday as we talked to Grinch, we talked to Riley. USC won 48-41 at Colorado. Like you said, five and zero. Everything's still on track, but the biggest tests are ahead, especially. Uh, for this defense some elite offenses left on the schedule and the last two weeks have strained whatever faith there was remaining in the fan base for the direction of this defense and I'll just say that I've I've maintained neutrality on Grinch uh, throughout this last year and a half just because I'm not going to belabor the point we've talked about a lot Last year, to me, was not a fair evaluation because of just the the lack of depth and the the lack of talent, uh, even more than that, on the defensive side. I don't think it was a a unit equipped to be good, and so I wasn't going to overreact to what happened last year. This year, the talent's better, the depth's better, there was every reason to think the defense could be better. And before the bye week, I think there was still enough reason for optimism that, maybe was trending in that direction. But the last two games, and especially this Colorado game, has uh, has really shifted the narrative, and I, and I think for the first time I have to uh, say that I have uh, real doubts about where it's going, and there, there's more concern than, than optimism at this point. USC gives up 564 yards to Colorado and a season-high 193 rushing yards to what was the worst rushing offense in the country. Max, what was your reaction to all that?
3: Yeah, my reaction was... I agree. This felt like the first week for me where the narrative really started shifting um, back into into a lot of the comments that we had from last year. And I'm sure as I say that there's some people that said, Max, we've been talking about this. This hasn't changed. I haven't let up on Alex Grinch. But to me, that's not totally fair because I thought the defense did some really good things early on in the season that gave you reason to believe that they had turned the page from, from last year. And then obviously the Arizona State, I kind of drummed that up to – being on the road first road test that whole deal uh you know maybe a quarterback and it was it was a new play caller that week and so some of those factors but then to walk away from a second week in a row where you're feeling like all right I see the talent but I don't see the production what's going on here so I definitely share a level of concern there I'm not to the point where the sky is falling um I think given how good our offense is and how Caleb Williams is um, the defense has some of the pieces that can win you a championship, obviously not in the way that they played versus Colorado. But I still just from an eye test see a talent upgrade from last year, which is why I remain optimistic that things could be better. But I'm not naive for the struggles that Alex Grinch has consistently had. And and to me, I think the, the part that's the most unfortunate is, I mean, guys that you expected to pop this year have not, Pops. I mean, Mason Cobb had a good game last week, but I haven't I don't I haven't walked away, you know, really feeling like, man, he's taking over games. And he, he he had a really nice game last game. So I mean, that's that's that might be um, undercutting that a little bit. But even even a guy like Caleb Bullock, I mean he's had an interception, but I haven't felt him in the run game, like if he's gonna be a first run NFL safety, I don't feel that presence. Damani Jackson for how big of a recruit he was yeah, you can see that he's got nice talent, but you haven't felt that lockdown. You're not throwing to his side kind of thing. Um, some of the pass rushers, Jamil Muhammad, um, guys like that have really, have really leveled up. Um, Solomon Bird have leveled up, but across the board, I haven't felt that. I feel like I see that. I want to believe it's there, but I haven't felt that. And um, that's obviously concerning. I don't think it's insignificant that. Hey, keep in mind, there's a real world where we're – probably not next spring, but the spring after. There's a real world. We're talking about Shadur Sanders as the first-round NFL quarterback. So don't lose track of that. Don't lose track of the fact that I think optics of the, hey, you blow the team out of the water the first two quarters and half the roster – and Lincoln rally talked to me about this on Monday night. Half the roster might think, oh, we got this in the bag. And it was a little bit of an emotional um, letdown there more than anything schematic or talent-wise. But legitimate cause for concern, um, dating, to, dating back to a lot of the factors we talked about last year. But I still, and maybe this is a reason that you know USC fans are even more frustrated, I still see the talent, so I'm optimistic there is more to tap into, which I don't think I would have said that last year. But obviously that's part of the frustration because you see the talent and it hasn't come to fruition yet.
0: Yeah, up forty-one fourteen, and you certainly understand the getting too comfortable factor, the, the the natural letdown that comes. Not excusing it, but if that were all of it, then then maybe um, I'm not feeling the way I feel about the defense this week. But that game didn't just get close; it got in jeopardy. And I'm on our Trojan Talk board during the game, running the in-game chat and, and commentary. And people, early on as things started to unravel, were going, this feels, feels like Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. And I'm like, come on, that's crazy. Let's keep some perspective here. <laughs> they kept saying it, and I kept less and less confidently kind of dismissing that. And then, damn, if, if not by the end, if USC doesn't recover an onside kick at the end, uh, it may well have been Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. And, and so after the game, a very fair question to Lincoln Riley was asked. And I, I played the clip at the top of the show, but just to, to summarize, acknowledging that there's more talent and there's more depth on the defense, but the issues, at least to the untrained eye, will say, look the same as last year. And he took exception to that and said, I, I don't see it that way. I, I don't think they're the same. Not to a coach, not, not not to the trained eye. And he talked about, you know, the the, the pressure they're getting defensively and, and other things that he sees as positives. But the things that are the same are the tackling issues. Uh, Too many guys left on an island, be it in coverage or needing to make a one-on-one tackle on a short reception. And when they miss, there's no one there to clean it up. And that that five or seven yard out goes for 20, 30, 40 yards. And those to me seem to be uh, inherent in the schematics, in, in the design of the defense and what it's asking the players to do. And at a certain point, if your players, if your unit has collectively shown that they are not a good tackling team, then I would maybe make an adjustment and, and not rely on, on on clean tackles to prevent explosive plays over and over again. And that, that's a really simple comment because I'm, I'm not a defensive coordinator. I don't have that kind of uh, defensive mind. I don't know exactly what... The adjustment is but it just seems like they're doing the same thing over and over again and if that first tackle is not made out on the sideline there's no one else in position to clean it up or you're asking bryson shaw to be one-on-one with jimmy horn uh on a play that he's just not maybe athletically equipped to to make on that first touchdown last week those are very simple comments max but this is why you're on because you can think us a little deeper am i off base that that it's, it does look, look the same in many ways. And many of the breakdowns are eerily reminiscent to last year.
3: I don't think you're off base. And I think it's important to point out that there is a direct correlation to corners and safeties being on an island and your ability to have favorable looks for your defensive ends from a pass rush perspective. Right. What I mean by that is when you're putting defensive backs on an island – that means you're allocating more resources to inside the box and more resources to doing different creative things from a pass rushing standpoint, um, which is maybe why a Solomon Bird or a Jamil Muhammad have popped at times. But, of course, obviously, like if you're putting up, if you're giving up 41 points a game, I don't care if you're edge rushers or, 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 or bright spots in the game. No, you need to protect your quarters and you need to protect your safeties. I think there's a lot of legitimacy in that. We've talked about that. Numerous times in this on this podcast is it's in Alex's Grinch's DNA, in my opinion, to bring a lot to the park schematically in terms of the different creativities, and I think he feels. I guess he did this at Washington State, but he feels the need to you know move around and do different uh, stunts and blitz packages and whatnot. But at times, that creativity comes with putting your corners on an island and relying on your safeties to be dudes, which it hasn't, and corners to be dudes, which that hasn't necessarily showed up. And I think it's a little bit unrealistic for that to show up, just given how good the offenses are in this conference. Uh, not only Colorado with the skilled players that they can roll out, and I know they had some true freshmen in that game, but even looking ahead, because I know USC fans are looking ahead to you know Washington, to Oregon, to uh, Notre Dame with. Uh, with Estime, who that's a whole different deal. With the running back, saw someone say he was the best running back in the country this past week. So that's a whole different set of challenges. But yeah, I think you got to almost strip things down. I'm in, I would walk to the park with less scheme, play teams more straight up, play more too high coverage. For if your linebackers, your best part of your defense, and you feel better about where that defensive tackle spots at. Dijon Benton flashed at times last game. We obviously love Bear Alexander. Well, then play teams straight up. Um, help your corners, help your secondaries, Say we're not going to give up the big play. Force defenses to sustain drives throughout the whole time. And if you can be good on first down, especially in the run department, and lean on those interior guys that have leveled up from the year prior, maybe you're uh, you're not we're not we're not having this conversation right now. So I think your points are valid, and just the fact that we've talked about it across two seasons is uh, is legitimate cause for concern.
0: Max, let's, let's say you're getting ready to play against this USC defense and you've gone through the film study all week and, and you kind of have some things in, in mind that you want to take advantage of that you want to look for. What's standing out to you as an opposing quarterback? Kind of the keys in your mind as a quarterback if you're facing this defense?
3: I think you've got to come to the park with a successful quick game, uh, with, yeah, quick passing game. And the reason I'm being specific there is the quick pass game does a couple things for you. It um, frustrates pass rushers, which if that ha- if that at times has been a, maybe not in the Colorado game, but at times has been a bright spot of this defense, if you're getting the ball out quickly, you eliminate the, um, the effectiveness of quick game pass rushers. And then two, again, if you like the linebacker position for USC, the quick pass game could force linebackers to – to think um that also is not only called quick pass game but that's the rpo game and that forces linebackers to think and process run versus pass frequently which i think softens up the linebackers to then help in the run game because if you usc's defense is good enough that if you don't have a run game your usc's defense will take care of you it what that's what hurt you last week against colorado is not only did you have sugar sanders but you look up and Colorado is able to activate three three backs in the rushing game as well and so you got to make if you're ESC you got to make an offense one-dimensional but if I'm that offense if I can get the ball quickly not have the pass rush be a part of it help that get me into second and manageables where I'm able to run the rock if I want to and put pressure on the defense there or take my shot plays down the field and take advantage of some of these one-on-one matchups in the secondary that to me is a big factor and I think we saw some of that with uh Colorado learning their lesson against Oregon in that they were terrible in the quick passing game against Oregon. Um, they tried to do pure progression pass concepts and Shadur got sacked almost felt like double digit times. And so they came into the SC game thinking we're going to have a little bit more of that. And uh, I think it just keeps the defense off balance. And especially as this narrative rolls up with this USC defense where it's a here we go again mentality. I think uh, if you give a quarterback confidence by getting those quick passing games, and, the, and he sees those those completions, and he starts settling into the game, I think that's going to put panic a little bit more on the USC defense than it would other defenses. Just given the
0: track uh, the track record of the USC defense the past couple of years. Yeah, and going back to my earlier point, if if you have a team that can't keep those quick passes to short gains, then uh, all the more reason to exploit that and. That was one thing that Riley said after the game. He goes, you know, nothing gives a quarterback confidence like being able to throw a seven-yard pass to the sideline and have it go for 20, 30, or 40 yards. And sure, you can say if we just make those tackles, it's a much different game. But that goes back to the point that this is not a good, a good tackling team, and we see this over and over and over again. And and that's where I think there's a, a stubbornness to on their end to what they think. Will happen in an ideal situation with their scheme they believe in the scheme and the setup and that if everyone just does their job this is going to be successful and and that's been the mantra over and over again it's, it's well if everyone just does their job if everyone does their job if, if we make these tackles it's if 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 and the ifs don't happen and so that that's where i think i'll be very curious to see if there's any adjustment Moving forward, but I don't think there's going to be because I think they really believe that we're we're this close. We're a few blown plays away from this being a much different game, except those blown plays are there every single game. And
3: what's interesting, what's interesting to me is uh, like this USC defense plays the USC offense every single day in practice. Yeah. Like from my seat, and I don't know how much media exposure uh, you guys get to that, but from my seat, our offense would absolutely destroy our defense, like day in and day out, to the point where you would think one would think. I say as, as a result of that, two things have to one of two things have to be true. Either the offense is dominating the defense in practice every single day to the point where you would think Alex Friitz would say, all right, we can't bring X,YZ to the park and we can't bring some of these pressures and slants and whatnot. That has to be true. and you would think that they would simple it down and we're not necessarily seeing that on a day to day basis, or the defense is not getting torched. And they're actually doing some good things, which is, hey, coaches are incentivized to win so they can keep their job. So they're not just totally naive to what going, what's going on. So if the defense is having some level of success in practice, why is it not translating to the game? And I don't have the answer to that. But I think that dynamic is interesting just given how dominant our offense is. And I don't walk away from the press conferences and out of practice thinking that our defense is getting absolutely torched in practice, but you would think that way based off uh, the games we've seen the past couple weeks.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it, it's a great point. And I wish we could see those practices because it, it would probably be very telling, but we don't. Yeah. You know, to what I was saying earlier, it's their belief in the scheme. Uh, there are things that reinforce it. I mean, there were, there were good defensive series. There, there have been every game this season. It's not like it's just a, a total failure every time out. Um, they forced a lot of punts. They forced a, a lot of uh, quick drives last week. Colorado had—I'm looking at the stats right now—had one, two, three, four, five, uh, six drives that were six plays or less, and ended up in a in a turnover on downs, a punt, or an interception. So there was a lot of good in that. It's just that the breakdowns are so bad, and there's and they're so consistent uh, that it, it offsets all the good. So just looking at the stats for the season so far, we're now through five games. USC ranks 102nd in total defense, giving up 404.4 yards per game, which is eerily similar to last year where they were 106th at 423.9 yards per game. So the yards slightly better. The national ranking pretty much the same. They are tied for 64th nationally in scoring defense, giving up 24.2 points, which is actually five points better than last year when they were tied for 93rd at 29.2. But this was the easy part of the schedule. Uh, th- this was the, the, the preseason we talked about over and over and over again. And it, I'd say it really ended last, last week. Colorado was the first real intriguing test they had. But it gets harder and harder from there. The rest of the way, over the last seven games, uh, five pretty good offenses in that stretch. Arizona right now is 43rd nationally in offense, but we've seen what they can do when they're on their game. Notre Dame next week is 26th. Washington, presently the number one ranked offense in the country. Oregon, the number two ranked offense in the country. And UCLA, 28th. So if they haven't been able to get to a point of clearly showing progress and improvement from last year through this first five game stretch, and, and yes, there were highlights, the, the Stanford game, uh, Nevada, some other moments where, where you did see it. But overall, we're almost at the halfway point of the season, and we're saying we don't see dramatic progress. Then what is there to presume is going to happen when it gets that much tougher the rest of the way? So I'll transition that into this question for you, Max. What is your confidence level, 1-10, one, one to 10, in this defense being better the rest of the way and being good enough to get this team to where its potential is?
3: Oh, I'll go a good old right in the middle, a cop-out answer of a five. Um, I have confidence, I guess, the the reason I'm in the middle, the optimistic side tells me, one, I see the talent. I've heard about the talent. I've seen flashes of the talent. And so naturally, just as a football guy, USC fan, I know it's in there. It's just a matter of getting unlocked. And I also think, again, last game had a little bit of the – so some factors that I think we're working against the defense, Shadur Sanders, the blowout early on, I, felt, I thought, and Lincoln talked about this, there were drives in that game, there were turning point drives in the game where they could have run the ball more to protect their defense, and there's some of that. So I see that capacity. But on the other side, I cover Oregon and Washington for the Pac-12 Network, and I am well aware of how explosive they are. Michael Penix is playing like an absolute... Michael Penix is playing like a top fifteen NFL draft pick right now. He's absolutely balling. Um, the Oregon offense can beat you in different ways. They can beat you running the ball. They can beat you throwing the ball. So, the standard has risen in the Pac-12 in terms of what you need to bring to the park defensively. And you don't need to bring to the park a twenty-point performance against Washington. No, you just got to you got to hold them. If you can hold them around that thirty-point, you're going to win. You're going to win that ball game. Just like Arizona almost did uh, or had a shot to. Uh, this past weekend and the offenses were that good, the quarterbacks are that good, the versatility and um how these offenses can go multiple on you are that good where I think there's legitimate cause for concern to look up and be like, Man, we're uh we're you know, we're in trouble in that regard. And even Notre Dame too. Um different style than Washington and Oregon. Um Audric Estime, they're gonna they're gonna start with him and then Sam Hartman, obviously their quarterback, is a different different element as well, um, or an elevated element from what we saw from Notre Dame last year. But that gives me real cause for concern, and I don't know if the USC defense can hold those offenses to under forty points. Which then that puts you in a, that puts a ton of pressure on your offense.
0: I'm at a four and a half, uh, which is not where most of the fans are. The fans are at zero, at least the ones who make their opinions uh, known on social media or message boards. I'm at four and a half, but what's telling in that is that I I was at a six and a half entering this game because we, in our part of our weekly staff roundtable discussion, myself and uh, Jeff McCullough and Tajh Car all gave our defensive confidence grades, and I was a six and a half because I had seen enough potential, and I don't know, I just the the flashbacks to the Cotton Bowl with what I saw in the second half against Colorado just really challenged my optimism in a lot of ways. And so not out of zero, I still think there is a path to this working out, but I am no longer optimistic or confident in that optimism. And each week will be telling because there's no more ramp up. It's all real the rest of the way. I mean, pretty much most of the rest of the games, if the defense falls flat could be perilous. And and we'll just evaluate it from there. I will say this, and I'm not sure that this this offsets everything else. I, I do think that the internal belief and confidence is sincere, is there. I don't think Lincoln Riley's just making excuses. I think he he believes in everything they put together this whole offseason, what they see in practice, what they saw in camp, the the individual talent upgrades. Uh, what it looks like when things go right, I think they do truly believe in what they're doing. And I think the players believe in what they're doing. And uh, again, at the top of the show, before we brought on Max, I played the clip of Bryson Shaw in the post game from Saturday where he just had uh, an impassioned and very raw uh, soliloquy uh, about how this is not on Alex Grinch, this is on the players. They're being put in the right spot. They're being coached to do the right things. And it's just individual breakdowns which is what we've been talking about, is that uh, that may be the case. But if you're relying on not having those breakdowns and they keep happening, then ultimately that becomes on the, on the person who's relying on those breakdowns not to happen. So anyways, uh, I think we hit the defense pretty hard there. We'll, I'm sure we'll discuss it again many more times the rest of the season. But like you said at the top, it was a win. They are 5-0. and The offense has been impressive. Before I get into some specific prompts, and and we've kind of touched on a couple of them that I want to get into offensively, was there anything that jumped out to you more broad brush from the offense performance Saturday?
3: Broad brush, uh, Caleb Williams is a beast, and his cleats were sick. You didn't see those, <laughs> little LeBron, LeBron James once. Um, broad brush, uh, nothing crazy. I'm sure we'll tap into it with your with your with your uh, with your questions.
0: Yeah, so let's start with a positive and. I've been kind of beating this drum for a few weeks now and and really going back to before the season, I thought that this was very possibly going to be a, a true, true breakout season for Brendan Rice where he started to get some national buzz and, and, and people started to kind of really key on, on his uh, top-end potential. And it started slow, not because of his performance, just because he got very few targets in the first few games, but he was turning those targets into touchdowns. I think through three games he had... He had five targets for three touchdowns, or maybe that was two, th- two games. All the stats blur together at this point. But the point being is that it, his, his volume has increased the last couple games. His performance has been uh, pretty much top-notch. He now has seven touchdowns through five games, 338 yards, averaging almost 20 yards of reception. And I made the... I called it a hot take on the message board last week, and it, maybe it is still a hot take... But I think that Brendan Rice is on his way to proving himself to be a first-round NFL talent. Now, I'll qualify that by saying I'm not predicting that he will be drafted in the first round. But I think that that's where his talent level is going to get to and that he will maybe be undervalued in the draft and prove over time to be that kind of player. And I look at last year's draft, for those who are loyal on the, on the Trojan Talk message board and and uh, or have seen me post it on Twitter. This is going to be kind of redundant, as I mentioned it several times. I look at last year's draft and Quentin Johnston at TCU, first-round draft pick. I don't see him doing anything better than Brendan Rice does in terms of the size and speed combination, the physicality, the, uh, the yards-after-the-catch capability. Now that he's gotten his his hands more reliable and gotten the drop issues from last year behind him. And and it it seems to be playing with just a more sustained level of confidence, which we've discussed in the past has been kind of key for him. He's a, he's a guy that that has to have established his confidence early to, to really tap into his full potential. I think he sustained that confidence this year and it's sure shows up in his play. That's my hot take, Max. What do you think? Am I way off or do you see what I'm seeing with rice?
3: I respect it. Uh, I respect I think it's a appropriately tempered hot take. Um, I'm not there yet with, with Brendan Rice. I think for me, some of the fluidity um, is still – I still need to see more of it on a consistent basis. I think your point about his ceiling, though, being that way, like I can get on board with that. But, you know, like you talked about, and I know you were not brushing by those, but the drops from last year and then – Again, when I think a top top uh, a first round NFL receiver that you know making it look easy, fluid in and out of breaks, like you're not even thinking about the fact that they're going to catch this ball. Some of those things, I still want to see a level of uh, consistency for Ben and Rice. But I'll say this, and uh, loyal SC fans might have picked up on something similar, but it feels like a lot of the commentary around Rice this season and recently has been. People have addressed it, but then it's also been kind of more just alluded to of how much he's grown as a person, like off the field this past year and how he's not a new man, but a improved man just from some of the, whether it's study habits or how serious he's taking the game of, the game of football or whether it's a relationship with, uh, with Caleb or whatnot. Those are not insignificant and that's a sign of maturity. And I think if, 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 if this is the next evolution we're seeing of Brendan Rice, it excites me about, Hey, is there much more to tap into? Because if, if he was maybe just now making these strides, like, all right, where's he going to be at a year from now? Where is he going to be at, at the end of the season? That's what excites me. And I think I have belief in the ceiling that's left to go that he could tap into, which I certainly, uh, certainly buy that thought process, but it's been great to see him come on. I think, I did not realize how physical he really was until these past couple games. I think it's always easy to talk about a receiver being a big physical receiver just based off their roster height and weight. But we all know the deal. Sometimes receivers don't actually play that way. He's playing that way. I thought the hit that he took, that awkward fall in the center of the field um, on that on that in-breaking route, you know, that – that looked like a, a serious injury the second that he got up. And the fact that he's battling back from that, and that's just he kind of just rolls with the punches, that's, uh, that's encouraging because I think you need a receiver like that, especially in an offense like this where you have a lot of speedsters, a lot of exciting playmakers. You need a guy that can get gritty and be physical, especially in the red zone. So love where Brendan Rice is at, and certainly buy that he has more ceiling to tap into the rest of the season.
0: I asked him about that moment after the game Saturday, and he said he was trying to get up as quick as possible before the trainers got out there and When they got out there, he was trying to tell them, i'm good i'm good and they made him come off the field briefly, but he was right back in the game right after that and he mentioned another great point that I wanted to ask you about, and I'd actually forgot until you t- you triggered the memory after the Arizona State game. I asked Caleb Williams what kind of why and how his his confidence in in connection with has grown over the last year, and he pretty much talked all about off-the-field stuff and just that he's gotten to know him a lot better. They spend a lot more time together. They just they, they have a, a different kind of personal connection. Max, how does that transfer to the field? Has that off-the-field stuff, off stuff actually uh, matter in terms of between the white lines during the course of a game, between the quarterback and receiver?
3: goes a long way. My favorite receiver at USC to throw to I guess I won't go that far, but one of my favorite receivers uh, and a guy that sticks out that I still reference today is Darius Rogers. Uh, Love thrown to him, and it came by way of how we talked just in between um, in between practices, how we talked to each to one other at the cafeteria, just joking around. I loved his temperament, just as a human being, but also as a football player, to the point where. You know, when you're a quarterback and you have the option and you have one on one matchup and you have one dude on your right and one dude on your left, you can go to either one. For me, I love going to Darius Rogers. He also had the best hands of any receiver that I that I spoke or that I played with. But that off the field relationship certainly goes a long way um, in a receiver and especially this is the biggest point. Especially when you get punched in the mouth. Especially when you're on the road and things aren't going well. That's when you have to fall back on your relationship, where then where 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 you can look at a receiver in the eye and say, "Let's let's go, let's do this thing." And when you say that comment, you're tapping into the lunches you had, and the classes you had, and the laughs you had, and shoot, maybe even going out with the guy, and you know, having having fun in that regard. That's where that relationship goes a long way. Versus if it's the receiver that's always complaining about not getting the ball, or the receiver that maybe wasn't putting in that work but when you get punched in the mouth and you need to come up with a big talent, big uh, a big time third down conversion late in the game on the road that relationship's not as there. there 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 might not be that bond in crunch time so it goes a long way i don't think it's insignificant i think it speaks to you know when you're bringing in a lot of these transfers how quickly are these guys coming together that's real and by all accounts that has not been an issue for this team the past couple of years but between quarterback and receiver, that to me is uh, certainly an uh, a underrated factor to uh, on-field performance.
0: Good stuff. Well, let me ask you this. Five games in, almost the halfway point. Let's recalibrate our expectations for this deep receiving core. What is your prediction the rest of the way uh, in order for who will be USC's top three receivers over the final seven games of this regular season and, and beyond?
3: <laughs> but let me be clear. I don't think this offense is ever going to have a number one receiver. I just don't think that's in their in their DNA this year. I think it's, you know, one week one guy's going to pop off, and next week the next next guy's going to pop off. And I think Lincoln Riley likes that. Um, I haven't checked the status of Zachariah Branch, but to me he has the highest upside. I think the top, top three receivers will be um, Zachary Branch, Brennan Rice, and Taj Washington. Taj Washington, man, I made the joke on Pac-12 Network at the uh, studio show last week. He has a knack for just every single game. He's the guy that falls through the cracks. I think it happens to be just because you're maybe focused on other receivers and the fact that he's a slot receiver. But he falls through the cracks and he comes up with a big play, it feels like every single week. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Again, I think that's part of his role and a little bit how he's wired, a little bit of his savviness. I think that continues and I think those three dudes are, are, are the go-to dudes, um, especially as games get tighter and maybe the rotation is not as let's let's make sure we're spreading the love around. and It's more who can we count on. And a guy like Brendan Rice is a guy that you love not only for what he can do in the pass game, but what he can do blocking-wise in the run game as well by having that dna and that physicality part of his game it'll allow him to just simply be on the field more which when you're on the field in this offense the ball is a funny way of getting you so i like those three guys zachariah branchman there's a lot left to unlock there and if he's healthy and active and whatnot this back half of the season when you're really gonna have to uh You know, scheme guys open and whatnot, there's a lot left more, a lot more left than just what he can do that I think Lincoln can tap
0: into. Okay, good stuff. I mean, I I think that's a little bit of a hot take. Zachariah Branch, number one receiver, the rest of the way. I I know you said not a number one receiver, but number one on on your rankings. I'm going to go Rice, Washington, Branch in that order. But Branch is definitely the X factor because I agree with you. We haven't come close to seeing the full impact of what he can do. If they want to truly unleash him, I would not put any ceiling on what what he could do the rest of the way. And uh, to the question about his status, he was back at practice on Tuesday. We're taping this Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon, and Lincoln Riley said he was progressing well. Um, We'll update that as the week goes along, but uh, definitely doesn't seem like it's going to be a long-term absence, whatever kept him out of the game last week. I was asked after that game, though, and I didn't know how to answer it, if if Zachariah Branch had played against Colorado, how different is that game? And my first reaction was that I don't know that it's all that different because I don't think the offense was necessarily lacking. Uh, That, that, that to me, wasn't the fulcrum of where that game changed. But maybe I'm short-selling it. If Zachariah Branch had played against Colorado, Max, what do you think is the impact? Is is that a different ballgame? Sure.
3: Yeah, I don't think it's a whole lot, but the reason that I hesitate there is Zachariah Branch is one of the only guys he has the ability with the way that he plays to change momentum on a game and I felt like the Colorado game a big reason why they came back into that game was momentum and you start, you know, you have that drive to close out the first half that gives them confidence and if Zachariah Branch was in the game and he comes up with some flashy play that stuns the crowd and they're silent, that maybe the crowd doesn't get engaged the way that they were. And Colorado doesn't have the confidence that they have. So, that to me is not a underrated factor, and certainly something that I'm looking forward to, looking for in the weeks ahead with some of the teams that we're going to play. Is just from a college football momentum perspective, Zachariah Branch is. One of a few guys on that roster, Um, I think Marshawn Lloyd has it in him to do it. I think Caleb obviously has it in him to to do it. That can just change the overall momentum of a game in one snap, which is not uh, insignificant.
0: I I totally agree with that. Totally agree. And um, I definitely think he's one of the absolute most interesting individual storylines the rest of the way, no doubt. An individual storyline that's interesting for a different reason, and it's especially relevant this week, is Dorian Singer. The wide receiver transfer from Arizona going against his former team this week. And we'll never get a true look into how he's feeling about the way the season's gone because he's he's a a team guy. He's going to answer the question the right way every time when asked. But the fact is, he was one of the leading receivers in the Pac-12 last season, one of the most targeted receivers in the Pac-12 last season at Arizona. And through five games here, he has 12 catches for 157 yards and three touchdowns so he's averaging 31 yards a game this is a thousand yard receiver from last year what what do you think dorian singer's thinking at this point
3: it's a good question and there's a lot to unpack there from a usc lens and then i also have a take on this from a big picture college football lens um yeah keep in mind i mean dorian singer is a stud very accomplished last year when i called two of arizona's games and the way you would portray him in Arizona's offense last year was the third guy behind um, Cowing in the slot. And to me at that time, the true freshman, Tateroa McMillan, the stats may not have bared that out, but I think defensive coordinators approached it that way. He might disagree, but it, it was – don't get me wrong. You walk away and at the end of the season it was 1A, 1B, 1C. But if you had to rank them, I think that's where it would have netted out. And so he comes to SC and the big picture – college football take there is i think it's a he's a case study for a cause for concern for guys that ball out at lower level D1 schools or mid-tier D1 schools like Arizona and they're saying hey sweet i can go to USC and this sounds great oh but then you get to campus and it's just different and we've talked about we talked about it last week on the on the podcast if rookie brown was at pit right now he'd be their best offensive weapon he doesn't even play for sc that's just that's just the nature of all the athletes that sc that sc gets and sometimes the grass isn't always greener and that's why it's valid for some recruits that when they do go to arizona a la Tateroa mcmillan who was a four-star five-star guy at a servite he falls out for the wildcats if he was on usc's roster and was battling with brendan rice for that X receiver like maybe it's a different story and for SC fans, we're playing him this week. He's number four. He's a stud out wide for Arizona. Um, but I think that's a that's a that's a real conversation. I'm sure Dorian Singer is is frustrated on some regard. He can, I think both can exist that he can be a team guy and be excited that he's on a really good football team that's undefeated, but also frustrated that his role is not to the level that he thought. And to his credit, I think by making that jump to USC, he had that self confidence that he could sustain that role that he had with Arizona and so I think that you know it's a testament to how he's wired but I think it would be reasonable for him to be frustrated and again I think it's a lesson learned because we've seen it we've seen it a few times right we've seen it I know Christian Roland Wallace had an interception last week but you know he, he comes to SC and he's not a surefire starter for this team versus he was on Arizona's team last year and know, he started for multiple years in a row. I think it's just a a lesson learned for future transfers that when you come to SC, it's great to have that SC offer. It's great to say you play for the Trojans, but don't expect your role to be a copy-and-paste type of situation from the school that you're coming from.
0: Great point. Building off that, though, have you seen anything in his performance that informs maybe why he's not? Uh, emerging into a bigger role. I mean, I, he hasn't had drops. He has great hands. Is it just he's just not getting open or creating as much separation? Is there anything that stands out to you about his play?
3: Um, the short answer is I don't know specifically. I think being around the game um, and and connecting dots here, I felt like a lot of his production last year at Arizona was on fade throws and fade balls and down the field shots. Go up and make one on one plays. And that's great, and there's a huge value in that, don't get me wrong, and I think you could do that for SC. But to get on the field at SC, especially at his position, I think you need to be much more of a tactician, and you need to be great at running routes, and you need to do the little things. You need to be great at run blocking, or at least show that you're you're doing that, doing those those elements. And in Arizona, he didn't have to do those. I mean, he, you obviously should do those. Any great offense wants you to do that, but he doesn't necessarily have to be elite at those because his backup is not great. Versus to play at SC, you got to dominate in practice, and I think that's just a different um, different mindset in terms of the uh, the little details that you need to, need to get done. Um, and again, I don't know this to be the true. I no one's ever told me this, but just having been in in that locker room in, at a different year, my gut says that there's uh, a little bit of that going on.
0: Good stuff. Well, one last offensive matter before we we get to. The matchup, I guess. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd, another big game, 13 carries, 84 yards, and a touchdown. Making sure I have that right. I do have that right. For the season, averaging 8.3 yards a carry, 433 yards, three touchdowns. But uh, it's clearly separated as number one back. Uh, Austin Jones had a very minimal role last week. But even still, Marshawn Lloyd not getting a huge volume. And to that point in the second half on Saturday, Colorado, USC's running backs combined had six carries five for Lloyd, one for Jones. You have a commanding lead in a game on the road and a run game that's clicking, and you only hand it off six times the rest of the way. What did you make of that? And is that just in Riley's DNA that he's just, he's never going to want to give up too much of the pass game to just go? Go full ground attack and, and, and close out a win.
3: Yeah, it's a really good point, and I, I do think it is part of his DNA. And I'm not sure the conversations uh, the media has had with Lincoln as of late, but he was honest with us uh, Monday night. I kind of asked him about that in terms of you know his mentality. Um, or I saw in the post game presser he said I could have called the run game better, which that's a unique comment coming from Lincoln rally because one, I don't think the average football fan really thinks about run game uh play calling it's always pass game play calling but the reason that he proactively talked about that is i think he would admit on this podcast that he could have helped his defense out more by calling more run plays being more timely with those run calls and basically slowing down drives to help out excuse me help out his defense and i think there's a lot of i think he would admit that so yes i think that that is a that is a fact but i also think that you know moving forward when you have Caleb Williams back there on one side, it's do we slow the game down and maybe in hindsight, you know, protect your defense, or do we we have the Heisman Trophy winner? Do we just keep on the gas and say let's put up points? And I think objectively, points are more more valuable than anything else. But points are more valuable than time of possession, so that that's always going to be a struggle. And I think that's what makes great coaches, and that's why I think Lincoln Riley historically knows that balance of you know when to tap what drives do you need to tap into more in the run game right whether they're just two big offensive plays back to back well maybe that next drive is more of a run game type of drive that's going to be on him to feel the pulse of the game but that 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 is that is always going to be a struggle for as long as lincoln riley is the head coach here and definitely as long as he has caleb williams because you know he's if you were great in the run game and somehow Colorado came back, we'd be sitting on this podcast saying, no, well, they should have kept on uh, Caleb Williams' right arm. So sure. you never can be perfect there, and it's uh, it's a balancing act every week.
0: Close the book on Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, the comments are are mounting each week that this is the best USC running back since Ronald Jones, and I'm sure you have perspective on that, Max, but I've been just thoroughly impressed by Lloyd, and, and, and you name him as one of the three potential game changers on that offense. I agree, and uh, I'd, I'd love to just see him get 22 carries in a game and just see what happens. We can revisit that uh, in the future if it does. We didn't do this last time, but you have one this time. We're going to spotlight your favorite play, design, play, call, uh, whatever, from this last game. Max, what stood out to you in that regard?
3: What stood out to me? I got a... I got to highlight my man Jude Wolf. Um, nice. He's a guy that doesn't get a lot, of, a lot of street cred on this podcast, but his touchdown catch not only was it awesome for, for him to get involved, but I think schematically it also jumped out at me. One um, loyal listeners have known that I've brought up the tight end position and how that is, since Lincoln Riley's been here, a position that has not been a um, impactful group in the offense. Which I would imagine as the years play out, they want that tight end room to be more of a factor and on this specific play call you get into the red zone which usc has been great in the red zone and a reason that they're great in the red zone is they can get to a lot of stuff schematically and you can go from four receiver sets or three receiver sets and talking about all the receivers that we're going to to this play call where you have two tight ends on the field and lincoln does a great job of making that feel like it all flows together bad play callers you can feel it when you're watching a game that they are trying to do something with lincoln you don't necessarily feel that. It all feels fluid. That's why I love this play call specifically using the two tight ends. And then the design is phenomenal where you go, a it's two tight ends, one on each side. You had a fullback in some capacity. I forget exactly who that body was, but you had like an H back, up back kind of guy. And you fake the run to the left, which again, you just talked about it. Marshawn Lloyd, he's going to be a guy that you have to account for in the run game. Oh, by the way, Caleb Williams' legs as well going a run action to the left which gets the defense flowing that way and then you have jude wolf uh, who pretends to block for a second and then releases into the flat and not only does he release into the flat but another reason this play design is great it's a left hash call something that goes hidden with from the average football fan is there's a especially in the college game where the hash marks are so wide relative to the nfl the timing of play calls is one thing but then the you, how you use the hash marks is another big thing in that if this was a right hash call instead of a left hash call, Jude Wolf maybe runs out of room, or maybe this defender is able to hang in there because there's just less grass to defend. But by calling this play call on the left hash, with Jude Wolf being on the right, when he releases there's a lot more room to get into, and if, it, if this was covered better, potentially more room to run towards, and Caleb was able would have been able to throw him open. Obviously he wasn't that, that wasn't needed because he was so wide open, but I thought just the timing was great, the how fluid the play calls worked together were great. That I, I mean, I take it I take it for granted when I watch a Lincoln around the offense, um, and that he, his his ability to just throw so much at you, yet it all all synced together is impressive. And then, Dude Wolf, man, a guy that's battled a bunch of injuries, getting in there for a touchdown on the road when he needed him to. Um, the schematics of the play all uh, all worked together perfectly.
1: So
0: great, that was awesome. That was awesome. Thanks, Max. Appreciate that um let's wrap it up with a quick look at Arizona comes into the Coliseum this week the Wildcats are three and two two respectable losses they lost on the road in overtime to Mississippi State in week two and they lost 31-24 to Washington last week albeit after a late touchdown that kind of closed the the score a little bit but uh, most notably they held the Huskies to a season low 474 yards and for the season. This is a defense at Arizona that last year ranked 125th of 131 FPS teams in defense, giving up 467.7 yards per game. This year, so far, they are 52nd. 52nd at 346.2 yards per game. Obviously, they too face many tougher offenses the rest of the way, so those stats will regulate a little bit probably, but Max, what do you see from this Arizona team? That, do you think that they are taking that next step in their, in their rebuild and their evolution under Jed Fish?
3: I definitely do, yeah, and wins are going to be much harder to come by in the Pac-12 where I could see a world where Arizona misses a bowl game this year and wins five games again this year, but that this team's, a, this team's a good football team. This team's a bold team in any other conference if it's not the Pac-12. Um, they have a good offense, hence why Dorian Singer left. He left because he, I think, thought he could get even more production in some regard. I'm sure there's more to unpack there. But they have two really good receivers. And uh, Jacob Cowling is a slot receiver, um, played a ton of football. And uh, Tatero McMillan is a physical receiver out wide. We we'll remind you of Brendan Rice. I think he's a little bit more... He's a little bit more fluid, actually, than Brendan than Rice at this point to me, um, but a bigger a, a big recruit in his own right. And then their third receiver, the guy they replaced uh, Dorian Singer with, is Montana Limonius Craig, who was Colorado's uh, best receiver last year. Um, he was a transfer in the portal when, when Coach Prime came in. Uh, Big thing to note, offensively for Arizona, Jade Delora did not play last week. Noah Fafita, the redshirt freshman, got his first start and showed well. They did not need to change the offense. He was very functional, and they were in that ball game in the fourth quarter against UW. Uh, like you alluded to, they weren't anywhere close to – I shouldn't say anywhere close. They weren't close to winning that game per se, but they were in that game in the fourth quarter if a couple different things went their way, and Fafita had a pick late that was a bad – Brett Favre shovel pass pick that I wish he I'm sure he wish he had uh, he had back but this is a fully functional offense Uh, not only note that Jaden Delora was out last week but their running back Michael Wiley who they believe is a a guy that can make an NFL roster next week or next year or have a chance to he was injured so keep your eye on if uh, number six is back in the game. And then Arizona believes they have two NFL offensive tackles. Uh, Jordan Morgan, their left tackle, chose to come back to school. I thought he got beat up a little bit last week against uh, Braylon Trice, the Washington edge rusher who is an NFL guy in his own right. So take that however you will. But they like Jordan Morgan at their left tackle. And then uh, Sabanaya, their right tackle, is a true sophomore that they love, Um, who's a good player in his own right. But then defensively, uh, their defensive coordinator is Johnny Nansen. He was uh, my running back coach at SC and uh, was the linebacker coach for some portion at uh, at SC. So a familiar face there. Um, and this defense is better than last year. I don't. I still don't think it's a strong group, but it's a better group than last year. They're bigger up front and. The most notable thing for me walking into this game is there was a very clear defensive game plan they walked into the park against Washington with. Michael Penix threw for over 350 yards, but he did not throw a touchdown pass. Why did he not throw a touchdown pass? Because they walked into that game saying, We're going to keep everything in front of us and we're not going to give up the big play. And they did not give up a big play, they gave up touchdowns. Don't get me wrong, Washington's offense was efficient but they did not give up the big play. And so the question to me is going into this game is, do they have that same game plan against Caleb in this offense and force Caleb to have eight, 10 play drives and March down the field and in Arizona's mind, have a chance in the fourth quarter. Um, We'll see. Um, As we know, everyone comes to SC with a different game plan, but that really stuck out to me last week because there was no hiding Arizona's defense, defense's uh, intention with a group that's better, but still outmanned, especially facing a USC offense. So we'll be interested to see the defense's game plan, and uh, we'll be interested to see who starts under center for, uh, for Arizona.
0: Great stuff. Let's wrap it up with predictions. You can go first, Max. What do you got?
3: i got arizona to cover i think the line last was twenty one points i think u s c handles business but i like uh i like it what forty eight i'll go uh forty eight <laughs> i'll go forty eight twenty eight arizona covers by one point
0: <laughs> good deal i've got uh u s c forty one thirty one Uh, Which again shows my lack of uh, optimism for the defense at this point. But every week's a new season, and uh, the storylines can change, and our discussion can be totally different next week. And we'll try and get back to you with those thoughts then. Max, love doing it. Appreciate your time. It was fun. Thanks, Ron. And that will be the show. But before we break, must acknowledge the Big Ten schedule release that came out Thursday with the conference pairings for the next five years. You might recall this already happened uh, several months ago, but then that was before Washington and Oregon uh, managed to get themselves into the Big Ten as well, making an 18-team conference and thus rendering the initial schedule model moot, and back to the drawing board they went. From that was a non-game conference schedule, which they call the Flex Protect Plus model, which sounds like something you might find on an infomercial at 3 a.m., Uh, As it is, there are a dozen protected matchups each year for USC. That is, of course, the UCLA game. That will be an annual contest. Uh, Other rivalries throughout the conference are also protected in that way. And then there will be a rotation of the rest of the conference teams. Every school will play each of the other Big Ten schools at least twice, once home, once away, over a five-year cycle. And we have the five-year cycle, the, the initial one, and it's you can go see the whole thing on Trojansports.com, I have, along with Lincoln Riley's reaction to it. But let's just focus on next year. Uh, next year, the Trojans will host Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, and Wisconsin while traveling to Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Washington, and UCLA. And then in 2025, USC hosts Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State, Northwestern, UCLA, and travels to Illinois, Nebraska, Oregon, and Purdue. Uh, again, 26, 27, 28 are also released. You can see them on trojansports.com. And there's a glimpse of what is ahead in the near future. In the meantime, the Trojans are 5-0, host Arizona this week. Storylines abound, and we'll... Break them all down for you this weekend on the site and get back on the podcast next week. Thank you.